WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And welcome to our grab bag episode. Uh, Matt and I recorded a lot of mini segments this spring at Camden Comic Con, our free comic book day appearance at Dewey's Comic City, and at East Coast Comic Con. Some of them you've heard already, but uh, rather than let the rest burn a hole in our pocket, we're liquidating our spring models and passing the savings on to you! Uh, all told, we have five fantastic guests this episode. First up, we talk with writer Fabian Nicieza at East Coast about signing endless Deadpool things at cons, his web series Outrage, the day acclaimed comics died, and a certain oversized clawfoot bathtub. Then, writer Keith Dallas talks with us at uh, FCBD about his Eisner-nominated oral history project Comic Book Implosion, which tells the story of the DC implosion of the late 70s through the words of the people who lived it. Then, Jennifer Hayden stops by our table at Camden to talk about her graphic novel, The Story of My Tits, uh, which talks about her experience with breast cancer. Then, uh, we go back to Dewey's to talk to uh, Alexia Veldhausen, whose Kickstarter comic 47 Furious Tales, an all-animal retelling of the 47 Ronin, has dropped digitally for backers. Uh, it's my understanding the creators will be selling print copies next weekend at Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown. And finally, we chat briefly with Archie Comics legend Dan Parent about his upcoming Archie the Married Life 10th Anniversary series with Michael Uslin. Uh, speaking of Garden State Comic Fest, congrats to John Paul, who helped us top 600 followers on our Twitter page at WMQ Comics and won two passes to the show June 29th and 30th at the Menin Arena in Morristown. Meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? Big week, guys. Big week. Uh, Will Nevin is in the middle of a two-part interview with writer Christopher Sabella, who just released Trustfall from Aftershock and is going to have Test out next week through Vault. Matt Lazowitz is going to have an appreciation piece on the 1989 Batman movie on the eve of its 30th anniversary, talking about how the film cemented his lifelong comics fandom. Joshua Barmont's going to have a review of Frank Miller and John Romita Jr.'s Superman Year One, number one. And, of course, we've got our X-Man of the Week, which this week is X-Force's Boom Boom. Uh, be sure to head over to WMQComics.com to check out all that good stuff. And if you like what we've got to offer, please consider backing us on Patreon for the low, low cost of a dollar a month and signing up for our weekly Q newsletter to get all our best content shipped right to your inbox. But enough of my yammering. Let's listen to other people yammer. Here are me and Matt and Fabian and Keith and Jennifer and Alexia and Dan. All right, so you're here signing today for the uh, the Hero Initiative. Uh, fantastic. What is what is the thing that you would say, probably most commonly get uh, asked to sign? Ladies and gentlemen, also, yeah. and it's usually um, X-Men related comics, Deadpool, New Mutants, and, uh, and X-Men issues themselves. That's the the majority. Uh, Percentage-wise, but I, you know, 30 years in and having written as many books as I have, and, and many of them selling rather well, uh, back when comics sold rather well, um, I, I get plenty of the Warriors and Thunderbolts and everything else. Uh, conversely, what what is the uh, not hold it in the middle? Uh, what is the honest thing you've been asked to sign that you can remember? Maybe even just today. Um, I I have signed a right butt cheek. Um, I have signed. <laughs> Which is actually more problematic than you think, because I'm a lefty, so the left butt cheek <laughs> would have actually been a lot easier. That's your wrist in a um, dangerous uh, uh, position. I had, to, I had to go cross seam, and that was a little bit challenging. I had, yeah. to, um, I had to go across the chasm, the gulf, as it were. Um, body parts usually are the weirdest. Um, other times, I, I've, I've been asked to sign 
hatchets and axes and things like that. With, okay. That have nothing to do with Deadpool. <laughs> if someone brings me a katana blade, I get that. But there's people who've given me like axes and hatchets to sign. I'm like, okay. Um, and you sign those and you don't complain about it because the freaking guy's got a hatchet or an axe with him. Um, <laughs> but usually, usually again, it's it's body parts. And I have my personal favorite body parts to sign, but I I can't say it in polite company. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. Yeah. Um, so you've got a webcomic that you're working on right now, Outrage. With Not Out right now. Not right now. Okay. We worked on it. Worked on it. Right now we are negotiating a season two contract. Ah, okay. Um, season one ended in late February. Okay. And, and the last few months have been um, working on negotiating a contract. Uh, I honestly don't know if there will be a season two with Webtoon or not yet. That could change on Monday. Um, Okay. Right now we're just in the discussion stages and and it's the the non-fun part. The creative part is always the fun part, but the business part of it has to be addressed and and that's what we're doing now. Sure. Well, let's talk about the creative fun part. Um, You know, what did did you enjoy, uh, you know, how did you enjoy working in sort of that digital uh, webcomic kind of very mobile-friendly format, you know, uh, were there different challenges for you or for Riley Brown uh, than, you know, kind of working in a traditional flop? Well, yeah, for sure, but Riley is is one of the most experienced and well-versed uh, digital layout artists in the industry. Um, he's been hired by companies to do layouts for other artists to draw from on, on, on digital comics, but all of that and all of our experience has been on horizontal scrolling digital comics, uh-huh. and this is a vertical scrolling digital comic, which is completely different because we operate in our life in reality because of gravity on a horizontal plane. <laughs> so it really changes the dynamics of how you can tell your story, how you can flow your panels. And that's really more Riley than me. Yeah. I would have some suggestions about some ideas about how to approach certain things visually, but it's really Riley's responsibility. And he did a really good job. It, it did take us a few chapters. Um, I, I think that by chapter six, five or six, we really started to get it. How we many knew, chapters we, were there It was 26 total. Okay. We knew what our space needs were because you also how much dialogue you can put between panels there's more dialogue in the in the vertical scroll digital comic than there will be in the print version okay. because the comic pages won't accommodate the amount of dialogue that we're throwing into the spacing of the, of the digital comic so in a lot of ways when we do a print version which we can do next year um, that they'll they're slightly different creatures you know so there's a lot of Jersey references in the strip. That you know, Riley's pretty local to this area. How about you? I've been in Jersey. I've been in local to this area before frickin' Riley was even born. <laughs> um, I'm, I've been local to this area since 1968. Um, yeah, I, I've lived in Jersey pretty much my whole life. I lived in New York City for three years, and then I lived in Jersey the rest of, of, of that time that I've been in the United States. Um, so, so the reason we said it in Jersey is because we just wanted a, a tech startup company kind of a thing and, and, and a diversity um, of characters to draw from uh, and, and making it Jersey was just easy and fun to do for us. So that's why we did it. All right. What's your favorite mall? My favorite mall? Yeah, since we're, since we're on Jersey. Yeah. It, it, we are Jersey I, I don't, born and bred too. I don't think anyone should have a favorite <laughs> mall. Um, Darth Mall is probably my favorite mall, there and I'm go. not even a Star Wars fan. Um, Freehold Mall is is undoubtedly the most beautiful mall in the world. There we go. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. There we go. Um, 
going to bounce around here on the question yeah. sheet. So uh, you had a story in the uh, Domino Annual last year. Yes. Kind of a flashback to Cable and, uh, well, I guess really Vanessa posing as Domino. Yes. Um, did you specifically remember the giant cloth foot tub, or was that something that somebody had? No, to no. Actually, that you? was the editor. I think that, um, the editor, the editor wanted to do. There was a bunch of Domino vignettes in this annual, and I yeah. think almost all of them were going to be dealing with flashback past memories. And he specifically asked me, "What's the deal with the hot tub scene?" <laughs> and I remembered the hot tub panel. <laughs> because it was so odd and it just honestly showed how ill fleshed out or thought out some of this stuff were I also remembered it because they added um, clothing lines to Domino uh, the Domino ah. after Robin okay. handed in the art because originally she was she was supposed to be the illusion of nudity in the panel um, but as a code approved book we cannot show the 12 year old Domino's naughty bits um, so I remembered all of that but, but for me uh, leave it to me to take a Domino story in a domino annual and make it about cable. <laughs> so it's really a cable story. And I, I just, anytime I write cable, which I always enjoy doing, I just always want to get across how just sad and lonely he is. So <laughs> it's just another opportunity to show everyone how sad and lonely he is. And, and that's what I did. That's fantastic. Uh, you tweeted your support the other day for uh, Jonathan Hickman's upcoming uh, X Men. No, I did not tweet my support for the comic because I haven't read the comic yet. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted know, my support for the concepts that he has discussed initially in his early yeah. interviews. I like what I hear because what I hear is not a pastiche of, of Chris and John, and it's not a pastiche of Fabian Scott and, and, and you know and Andy Kubert and. and Jonathan Jr. It's not a copy of Grant Morrison and and, and, Kat, and uh, Whedon and all that stuff. I like hearing when creators want to take established concepts in, in, in a challenging and interesting new direction, and that's what it sounds like he's doing. And now I, I'm not a monthly reader of Hickman's books, but I am a reader of Hickman's work because I always read it in trade paperback. Because in my opinion, 99% of the current comics read better as straight paperbacks than they do as monthly comics. Um, so Hickman, Hickman's work has impressed me in trade paperback form. I believe that if I were buying it monthly, I'd want to throw him up against the wall and smack him. Um, <laughs> but I feel the same way about all creative people, so it's not just him, you know? Um, so, so so I will read this X-Men when it comes out, but I chances are pretty good I'm going to wait till the six-issue miniseries are completed before I read the work. Do you still have any of the old uh, Wizard magazines that... Uh... I never had any old Wizard magazines <laughs> when they were new Wizard magazines. Uh, no, I, I made a decision, a conscious decision in the early 90s not to save stuff that okay. I was being interviewed in because it, it, I did it first when it was so exciting and new and novel. Yeah. But honestly, by you know the tenth time, you're you're okay. This is taking up space. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't need to read my own words. I know what you know. I know what my words are. And I believe me, I'm the last person in the world who wants to hear myself talk. And that's all I ever seem to do is hear myself <laughs> talk. Um, so no, I, I have nothing, nothing. The only thing I do have is um, I think I still have my very first. Comic Shop News interview that I did, and and um, and Comic Shop News review of New Warriors number one. Uh, I think I still have those in, in, in my basement somewhere. But but I I, I no I, I I have copies of the Pizza Hut videos too because oh. because that was kind of fun. So I, I I still have those. Except I don't have a, a VHS player to play them in. So. <laughs>
just gotta make like nice little like shadow boxes for them. For yeah, no, you know what? You go to you, almost everything's on YouTube now. Those pizza yeah. interviews from the cartoons that they did are on YouTube. So I was like, I couldn't believe it. The, you know, there's my ugly mug. You know, 30 years ago on on YouTube. So it's sad. Those, those Pizza Hut X-Men comics are like uh, revered. Yeah, they're surprisingly collectible. Yeah. Well, what I what I wish is that we'd done them. I wish we had written and drawn them, but they wouldn't let us because it was going to take away from the schedule of producing the monthly book. Uh. But it, it always seems so odd to me that, that we weren't the ones who did those little mini-comics in there, you know? I, I would have preferred that, honestly. One thing I was kind of curious about in, in looking at your do you recall sort of the last days of a plane? Yes, I do, because I'm the one who closed the door, uh, pretty much. Uh, no, I didn't. There were guys who were left over to have to clean up the offices afterwards. Sure. Uh, yes, it was a very, very difficult time because I'm the one who initiated the closing of the company. It was my it was my decision to go to the parent company, uh, Claim Entertainment, yeah. and say, this is not a viable business option. I am not going to lie to you on the budgets, which is exactly what they wanted me to do, um, and I'm not going to do it. So either replace me and for someone who will tell you what you want to hear or, or look at these real numbers and address it as a business reality. And they chose to address it as a business reality, um, and, and that meant shuttering New York offices, laying off 21 out of 28 people, and moving the remainder over to Glen Cove, Long Island, where the parent company was. And when I did all that, I knew that I was going to be gone real soon, but I just wanted to give the new people a chance, the, the, the remaining people a chance to settle in at Glencoe, but four months later, I think roughly, it was, uh, um, I think it was July uh, of 1998, uh, on a Friday, I walked out the door, and that was rearview mirror time, I was done. Was it, uh, was it tough kind of being on the business, business end of things? It, it was tough. Um, it was a great learning experience, and I'm really glad I did it for that, and, and I'm really glad I did it for the people that I met. I, I love my coworkers. We, we really had a good a good office environment there. Um, we knew what an uphill battle it was. We knew what a struggle it was going to be, and we knew that we probably weren't going to make it. We were just going to eke out as much time as we could. Um, it, it, it was hard when... I did not do my due diligence. I did not do a good enough job before accepting the job of understanding the place that Acclaim Comics was in with the retail marketplace at that time. I knew that it wasn't good, but I didn't know that it was that bad. <laughs> so so that difference alone, and because I was excited about the opportunity to be chief at a company, because I thought I was going to be that at Marvel, so I wanted the opportunity to do it. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't like and never have really liked being a freelance writer. I like writing, but I don't necessarily like being a freelance writer. Um, I, I've always really enjoyed office environments and office structures, and I think I excel it, and I think I'm ten times better in office uh, guy than I am a freelance writer guy. Um, so, so yeah, it was really, really hard, but I also don't think that I would take any of it back. Um, the only thing I would take back is me knowing a little bit more in advance of what the situation was and maybe doing more work to try to repair some of that in advance of us releasing our actual content so that the retailers maybe would have been a little more receptive to it. But, but Valiant had burned the retailers so bad at that point that, that it was a really, really hard thing to do. Were you, I'm just curious, you did a lot of that work right 
up through the new before the new fifty two started. Were you in office with DC? Were no, you, no, I was. I was, a, I was on the contract for okay. them as a writer. So when I left Cable and Deadpool, um, it, I signed a five year contract with DC as a writer. So I was just a freelance writer for them. So I was writing a whole bunch of stuff in the bad office, a whole bunch of other projects. Um, I was like a go-to villainish kind of guy, which is fine. It's actually fun for me because writing comics has not been the main source of my income for almost 20 years now. So whenever I do it, I just want to do fun, different things. So DC, the whole thing's a new sandbox. I would rather not be on a monthly book or two monthly books because I want a chance to get to write. Oh, Hawkman, okay. Oh, Adam, okay. Kurt Music calls me up and says, you want to write these backups on the weekly book and it's going to be all over the DC Universe. Yeah, because I'm going to get to write every freaking character in the okay, DC Universe. Um, so the class is all good. Um, but, but let's not speak of New 52 again. We'll ask one more question and then we'll, we'll leave you be. Uh, what was the last... Uh, what are you reading now? What are you reading now? It doesn't have to be comics. It can just be novels. Whatever it is you're reading. Um, I'm, not reading I'm not reading books. I don't have the patience for them. I'm writing a book, but I'm not reading a book. Okay. Um, uh, I, right now, what is on my nightstand right now? Um, on my did, on my iPad is um, a, a Guardians of the Galaxy volume by Bendis. Um, uh, on my night table is a Luke Cage volume three Marvel Masterworks, um, which is some really rough stuff, let me tell you. Um, and Loose is, um, I think, a, a Chip Zdarsky uh, Peter Parker trade paperback. Um, so that's what I got right now. But it, it, it kind of fluctuates. You sure, know? sure. Uh, I read a little bit digital. I, I read I read Marvel Masterworks a lot, and I read trade paperbacks. Um, and I'm usually a few years behind on current stuff. I, I was recently just buying um, the Avengers book and Dan Slott's FF book, but I'm going to probably stop buying all of those and just wait and read them in trades. Nothing, nothing. I'm an old man. Nothing works yeah. for me in, in traditional format anymore because I don't think I don't feel like I get a bang for my buck. I don't feel like I get three dollars and ninety nine cents worth of comic. I'd like a few more words in there. Sure. And when there aren't words I like a little more action. So what I get is a lot of words and no action. I I get a lot of characters staring at a camera and telling you what happened but not showing you. Get off my lawn, all of you. <laughs> you kids today, off my lawn. All right, well, we're going to leave you to your uh, adoring public. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Question. Thank you, guys. W-N-Q-A. All right, so we are here with uh, Keith Dallas, the editor of Tomorrow's Publishing. Uh, congratulations on the Eisner nomination, Thank by you very the much. Way. Thanks for having me. Um, where were you when you got the word? Uh, my publisher called me at home. And when, you know, you're, you're watching TV and you see your publisher's phone number come up on the TV and I'm like, all right, I'm, okay, what, what, am I, what am I about to be yelled at now? What did I do now? And so I pick up the phone, getting ready to get shoot out, and he's like, well, great news, you've just been nominated, and I yelled something I don't think I should it's going to be appropriate for the podcast but normally we're cool with swearing but there's like all kinds of yes that's true too that's true too so I yelled out loud enough my daughter has an apartment downstairs she came running upstairs she's like what happened I'm like no 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 something good this time finally something good something good you know so that was and on the Eisner not just for your tomorrow's work but for your book comic book implosion yes 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 exactly yeah because I, I last year I had a couple of books that uh, tomorrow's published so yeah, he, he he immediately told me it was for comic book implosion, which, in in complete honesty, because I, I I wrote the book with John Wells, 
and um, you know, I, I'm going to presume you guys don't know John Wells, but he is—he's just such a knowledgeable comic book historian. But not only that, he's just a great guy. He's really, anytime you ask him for help with something, he's always there to help you. Just you know, just like with little, just little requests for help. You know, like little, you know, just like, hey, can you tell me? Uh, like let's say like some like there's a piece of, of knowledge that just slipped your mind. It's like, hey John, can you confirm this for me? And he'll go and look it up. So I'm really, in, in complete honesty, not only obviously am I thrilled for myself, but I'm really thrilled for John because I, I, I feel he's been deserving of this type of honor for many many years. I mean, he's been writing comic book history for like 30 years. He used to write articles for Comics Buyer's Guy back in the late 80s. So oh, wow. that's how long he's been, you know, doing this stuff. That's great. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about about uh, the uh, comic book explosion. So comic book explosion is the um, it's really about the 1978 DC explosion slash DC implosion. Yes. And, you know, for your listeners who are not completely familiar with that, it's at the time DC had a plan to... Uh, comic books were 35 cents. They had 17 story pages. And Jeanette Kahn said, you know what? We, we've got to reverse this trend of prices keep going up and the story count keeps going down. And she said, let's do this. Let's do 50 cents for 25 story pages. We give, you know, uh, the consumer gets, you know, more value. The newsstand dealer gets, you know, a, a, a higher incentive to sell the book. Uh, so they build it as their comic book explosion. They, they promoted it for a year. It launches in June 1978. And they expanded their line. Mm -hmm. Six weeks later, DC's parent company pulls the plug. So wow. the DC explosion becomes the DC implosion. And not only did they pull the plug, so not only did they reduce story pages, they also canceled half of their titles. So it became sort of a bloodletting. And it, it's sort of one of the most infamous events of comic book history. And what John and I did is... Uh, we pulled together uh, a ton of interview uh, quotations, stitched it together as a narrative. So, I mean, it's it's labeled a, an oral history, technically not an oral history because we, we don't do any really new interviews, but we we sort of stitched together all of these quotations into a narrative to so so people get an idea of what it was like at the time. Mm -hmm. As a as a comic book executive, as a comic book creator, even as a comic book uh, consumer, because we have like quotes from Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek and Tom Brevert, who at the time were only like ten years old, but so even to getting their their memories of what it was that was like, um, and also you know just going into the reasons of okay, well why this happened, and because a lot of it's really about just the death of the newsstand as a sales venue for comic books. You know, it's got, it's kind of the intersection of, of where the newsstands start to fall off and the direct market starts to rise. That's to exactly the theme of the book. Mm -hmm. Is that as much as as much as at the time, obviously creators and executives were suffering. This sort of needed to happen mm -hmm. for the comic book industry to, to sort of divorce itself from the newsstand and say, okay, we got to find a different venue. Now the problem is in 1978, there was only like. 
700, 800 comic book stores in the world. Mm -hmm. So that they didn't at the time look at you know comic book stores as the savior. But quickly, you know, by the early 80s, you started to get this um, burgeoning direct market stores. So we sort of go into that. So the, the the narrative begins like in 1975, 1976. It mm -hmm. ends in like 1980. Ends almost like with New Teen Titans coming out okay. and getting into that. Interesting. That's the long-winded explanation of what yeah. the book is about. We, yeah, you know. we love tangents and people and talkers. That is what we always say. Tangents and talkers. Can, it's true. Uh, you also recently did one of the one shots for the Ghostbusters 35th anniversary yes. for IDW. We were talking off mic, and you told the story of how that sort of came about. It's a great story. Uh, so, the Ghostbusters, the IDW's Ghostbuster editor is Tom Waltz, and he and I go way back. Mm -hmm. And Jim Beard and I co-wrote, back in 2010, the Convolution uh, Ghostbusters one-shot. Can I tell that quick story? Sure. Yeah. Now, the way that issue came out, I was at San Diego Comic-Con. Okay. I literally bumped into Tom Waltz you know, on the floor. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, so he said, hi, hey, how you doing? He goes, hey, we're doing a bunch of Ghostbusters one-shots. I need, I give, you know, give me some pitches. And I said, um... Right here, on the floor. Yeah, just on right. the fly. Uh, yeah, and I just said, the Ghostbusters go to a comic book convention and they run into a demon. Oh, no, I even made it even more specific. The Ghostbusters go to San Diego Comic-Con. Uh-huh. But they, because they're on vacation, they don't have their equipment. Um... But they end up having to conjure the ghost of Jack Kirby to defeat this demon. Okay. And he Ooh. goes, he goes, oh, I love that. He's like, write that up. And <laughs> he goes, write that up. Um, come up with like a half a dozen more pitches and send it to me in an email. So I contacted Jim Beard knowing he's a big um, Ghostbusters fan. So he and I worked up some... So we spent the weekend working up half a dozen other pitches. And, of course, the pitch that I did right there on the spot, that's the one that got accepted. Now, if you read that issue, they immediately said, okay, well, we can't we can't have them going to San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, and we also can't have them conjuring Jack Kirby. Okay. And don't try to even get sneaky with Jacob Kurtzberg or anything like that because we're going to we're gonna. so if you read that issue we sort of had to thankfully people who have read the issue still understand okay it's a, it's a Jack Kirby stand in oh, no. yeah I, I remember the issue well and I remember the, the Kirby stand in there okay so um, because for those of our listeners yet another thing I love is Ghostbusters because I love everything <laughs> so we um so that was in 2010, and you know, as you know, so IDW put together, uh, you know, a um, Ghostbusters ongoing written by Eric Burnham, mm -hmm. and and Tom was trying to find us, you know, more opportunities to write Ghostbusters. And obviously, Eric does a great job, uh, and you know, so eight years later, uh, I'm taking a nap at home, and my phone blows up, and it's Jim. Okay. On Facebook Messenger saying, so do you want to do this? And I go, what are you talking about, Jim? And he says, check your email. So I go over to my email and I say, it's a message from, it's a message from Tom Waltz. And he says, he announces, okay, come April, we're going to do this month-long Ghostbusters event, a series of one-shots, and we'd, uh, how about you and Jim put some pitches together for the Extreme Ghostbusters? 
and the very first thing out of my mouth was who the hell are the extreme ghostbusters you know so i and so now jim and i are on facebook messaging going back and forth i'm like who are the extreme ghostbusters he's like i don't know but let's find out <laughs> so lots of guns we both have yeah, yeah so big we, shoulder pads very nice <laughs> from the look I, i'll be i'll be completely honest i have never heard of them um so but there's the magic of google yep and we Google it, and then we start watching some of the episodes on YouTube, and we, Jim and I, immediately fell in love with these characters. I'm like, these okay. are such great characters. And what I was telling Matt off mic was, you you look at the, the four main characters, Eduardo, um, uh, Roland, Garrett, uh, uh, Kylie, thanks, <laughs> and if you just look at their appearances, you say, okay, goth chick, black dude, uh, kid in a wheelchair, and you think about the stereotypes associated with that. Okay, the kid in the wheelchair. That's going to be your IT guy. That's going to be the computer guy. None of these characters mm-hmm. fit the stereotypes of their visual appearance, if you know what I mean. Okay. Like, Kylie's the goth chick. She doesn't act like a goth chick. She's, she's really a nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, Garrett's uh, the disabled kid. He's a jock. And not only is he a jock, he's a huge, enormous jerk. I mean, he's just... I love Garrett. Garrett's my favorite of those characters because he's just an unapologetic jerk. Roland is the uh, what I told the whole Roland is the most uncool black guy you find in pop culture. He is stiff as a board. He's got no personality. And then Eduardo is essentially the Bill Murray character. So okay. Um, so we, we put a few pitches together, um, and the one that Tom liked the best was the one with the Extreme Ghostbusters going to um, the not the Bronx Zoo, the uh, Central Park Zoo, where the animals there have been possessed. Okay. So. So that ended up being a lot of fun, and uh, Tim Tim Laddie was our artist, and I think he did a great job. Uh, and yeah, we're really happy with the issue. That's great. Now I see you do have one more book here at your table. Uh, what can you tell us about the so, Argonauts? So Argonauts is is a book that uh, you know um, a self created uh, book that uh, Robert Saunders and I put together. It's the story of. <clears throat> Really, seven characters from different time periods. Okay. Three from the far future, three from essentially uh, medieval uh, Norway. Okay. And a modern day crime fighter in essentially Baltimore. Mm-hmm. The character from, one of the characters from the future wants to go back in time to stop an alien invasion of Earth. And what happens is when when he activates his uh, his device, he inadvertently brings the other characters from the other time periods into modern day Baltimore. Okay. And again, the goal is to stop this alien invasion of Earth. Okay, so right, that all sounds rather just you know standard run of the mill. The. Uh, <clears throat> what I'm trying to make unique about this is that none of these characters understand each other. There's a sort of a Tower of Babel theme to this series. So obviously the the characters from medieval Norway don't speak English. Uh, neither obviously do the characters from the far future because it, they, they're you know from other worlds. So there are moments in this text, lots of moments in this text where these characters are trying to communicate with each other and they can't. Meanwhile, guess who's coming? The aliens are coming. And so it's sort of a race against the clock to, for these characters to come together either in before the aliens can come or in time to stop the alien invasion. So there's a lot of sort of like 
not not really miscommunic miscommunication hijinks, but just really the theme of, of miscommunication and and trying to work through that in a, a sort of standard superhero sci-fi adventure. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Keith, how can uh, people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Yeah, though I'm on Twitter, uh, which is Keith underscore Dallas. Uh, that's probably the best way to reach out to me. You know, Twitter. Twitter. I I'm, I'm usually on a lot. And, um, okay. There we go. Yeah. Well, Keith, thank you very much. For, hey, uh, thanks, guys. Stopping by. Thanks, you know, thanks for talking. Yeah, appreciate it. W A Q A. We are here at Comic Con with Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer, thank you for stopping by our table. Thank you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, what you what have you brought to the show. Well, my uh, best-known book is The Story of My Tits, which is a... Um, Great title. <laughs> thank you very much. It, uh, it, it does the trick. Um, it's a story about my, um, my life and my experience with breast cancer. Okay. And uh, it, it handled in, I like to say, sort of a novelistic way because it covers my mother's cancer and its effect on her marriage and my mother-in-law's cancer and its effect on her marriage and the effect of my cancer on my marriage and my kids, and I wanted to look at it in sort of a holistic way. Um, and then I've also got my first book uh, that came out in 2011 called Underwire, which is sort of short story-length stories about my uh, present life. It's not a memoir, and it, it was about raising my kids and stuff. And then uh, most recently, I've got a book, uh, A Flight of Chickens, which is self-published, and it's a collection of very short four-panel comics I did for a while to prove to myself that I didn't need 352 pages to tell a story. <laughs> That's very cool. I, I, it, how much more of a challenge was that, were the, the shorts? Well, you know, when I was young, I wrote a lot of poetry, and this was the closest I came to writing comics that were poetry. And I know a lot of people think of comics sometimes as poetry. In fact, there's one anthology that, that uh, ink, ink Ink brick or something? What's it called? That is for specifically poetic comics, um, and I want more narrative and more story than that. But it was really a great uh, challenge at condensation, uh, compression, which is what really is the, the the what makes comics especially springy. You know, they they sure. they pop when you have really good set, uh, compression. How long, how long have you been? Uh, how long have you been uh, draw, uh, illustrating, writing, drawing? Well, um, the short version is: I went through breast cancer uh, in 2004, and though I had read comics in my youth, I had dropped them as a grown-up, and I'd tried to write fiction and I'd tried to illustrate children's books. And when I was recovering from a mastectomy. I got a stack of books, like you do, and um, I, believe it or not, read in the New York Times uh, about these things called graphic novels. And you can be sure if the New York Times is reviewing something, it is over. But <laughs> not in, that's what my husband and I, he's a musician, and that's always our, our rule. So anyway, I decided to give, it, give a look at these things, and I got all the ones that were done by women, Persepolis and uh, Dykes to Watch Out For and some others. And, um, I absolutely had my head blown apart by this medium and realized that I'd never found a happy place to combine my interest in writing and my interest in drawing, and now I had. So I decided I wanted to tell other women about my breast cancer, 
story because I was quite lucky and I made it through, but I did have to part with my boobs and I wanted to tell other women it's not as scary as you think it's it's not you know uh, uh, so, as awful as you think good things can come from this and um, and then I set out to tell the story as a graphic novel I gave myself one year to read all the best graphic novels I could find and then said and now you start yours and while I did it because it took eight years to complete I did a book called Underwire, and you know, and now I'm working on another book for Top Shelf on a completely different topic. And I, I just interrupted that and gave myself tendonitis because I dove into a story about a trip to France that blew my mind. So I am, I am a very ADD author, and and I am aging, and my hand is rebelling, but I am determined. I will, I will hold on to this until my dying breath. I adore comics. That's fantastic. Uh, when you kind of gave yourself that year to uh, study the classics, obviously you already mentioned Persepolis, but uh, what were some of the other things on that list? Well, one of the very first was Jeffrey Brown's Clumsy, and which now you don't see on the table, the top shelf table so much, and you don't hear as much about. But at the time, it was a, a really wonderful indie uh, document. You know, it really led the way. This was back in 04. Remember, 05. And, and there were no women, middle aged women with kids wearing yoga pants at New York Comic Con. So this was, you know, it was very hard for me to find role models. Uh, but I, I loved David Mazzucchelli's City of Glass. I loved, um, I actually, once I found out, out about Will Eisner, I read as much of his stuff as I could get my hands on, and, and he really blew my mind. The fact that he was discovering this and how to do this and was still so expressive about it um, and so full of detail. And, and I was just on a panel, actually, for Eisner Week at Parsons, and I reread some Eisner beforehand, and I, again, I was like, Every armpit hair on a sweaty old Italian lady in a horrible sleeveless um, evening gown on the streets of Brooklyn, and every hair is is perfectly drawn in every shot of her. Like he's just unbelievable. You can read a contract with God, and every time you walk out with something you didn't notice the first time. Uh, he is just—he's tremendous. Um, and I'm trying to think. There were. Uh, and then I found Bitchy Bitch, and then I found Julie Doucet, and then I found Linda Barry, and I stole Linda Barry's, uh, uh, when I started my own comics, and the very first page of the story of my tits is the very first comic I ever drew as a grown-up. And Top Shelf never changed it, to my amazement. But the, um, I was like, come on guys, this looks very different from 30 pages from now. And they're like, no, it's fine. So the, um, the, uh, I had to choose uh, a format, and I didn't naturally have one that I was going to use, and I didn't even know anybody doing comics, so I didn't know you could get a, 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 a grid on a piece of paper and fill it in. I, I knew none of this. And I wish someone had said, don't use a rapidograph and destroy your hand. Learn how to use a brush pen. I didn't, I didn't get any of this good advice. And the and I and I she had these boxes with the narrative at the top and then something going on inside them, and I ended up borrowing this and later on met her and told her that I had borrowed it and she was very generous and said, you know, I, that's wonderful. Give me a hug. I'm glad it got you going. You know, it was <laughs> the great. greatest form of flattery. <laughs> yeah, and she's a teacher, so she's she's happy to be part of uh, leading the, the the blind. I think yeah, so. So those were some of the 
uh, those were some of the people who, who really stood out to me. Uh, how, how far away have you come to uh, be at this show? Oh my God, this is the probably the least that I've traveled, and the most comfortably too. I, I came with a friend and uh, she drove. I live in the Princeton area oh, okay. in New Jersey. I'm from Central Jersey. I worked for uh, Princeton as a, uh, a Princeton affiliate for 13 years at, at the McCarter Theater. Ah, I love McCarter. Yep. So do you know where Hopewell is? Sure. Right, that's where I live now, yep. Hopewell. Uh, my wife and I lived in Heightstown for uh -huh. uh, many years in Ewing before we moved down yep. to here. Because this is my shortest commute to a con because I live 10 minutes away now. Nice. Which is delightful. I mean, I go to the New York cons and that, and I grew up in the city, so, but it's it has become a longer and longer commute because of traffic, so um, it's really not fun to go to New York City anymore. Uh, <laughs> not as fun as it used to be. And this, we just, you know, jumped in the car and came here. And what's fun too is that my son, who has now grown up, lives with his girlfriend in Philadelphia. And so they, they came um, they came out very easily today from Philly to, to be here. That's great, that's great. Do you go to a lot of, to a lot of the, uh, the local shows? I go to MoCA in New York City. I go to sometimes the New York Comic Con, um, but it's a strain. And, and for all of us, and I always go to um, SPX in Bethesda each year in the fall. Oh, yeah. I love that one. Uh, and I uh, and I I am trying to, you know, when when the story of my tits was new, I went to a number of, of other cons like TCAF in Toronto and uh, Baltimore, um, some others. But last year I went to Angoulême. Oh, wow. In France. Wow. That's what I'm, I'm writing this new novella about my hilarious, disastrous experience there, which ended, it had a happy ending, but I've had this whole history with France of going over there and having disasters happen. <laughs> and it happened, you know, times a hundred this time, because I was traveling with a bunch of people, and one by one, like an Agatha Christie novel, they, they died like flies, until it was down to two of us, and we were clinging to each other. <laughs> How much is this going to suck, seriously? And then we got this new landlady and the sky, you know, sun came out and it was, and she became my best friend and it was just, it was marvelous. So anyway, um, uh, uh, that was, that's a convention I'd like to go to again. I wouldn't call it a convention, a festival. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I have been to San Diego, but only once when I was a guest at the show a few years ago. Uh -huh. I, uh, it's, I, the far flung ones, I'd rather be sponsored than, sure. um, you know. Uh, what are you reading now, personally? Oh my god. Um, actually, I just bought some really expensive lip gloss that came with instructions, so I plan to read those. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Instructions? For, oh, I, I can't I can't figure this out. Anyway. Um, uh, you have to go with the grain, not against the grain. <laughs> put finger in pot, remove finger. <laughs> Step one. Anyway, one wonders what the career path leads to be the person who writes the directions <laughs> for the lip gloss. Maybe they're translated. I. What do you do? I translate lip gloss directions. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I mean, I, I just ordered a batch of graphic novels that I had ignored, but um, I, I have been uh, reading a trashy uh, that's a spy novel, um, and I'm sticking with it because my brother, Timothy Smith, is about to publish um, a very gripping non-fiction book with Random House that's the story of 
a French resist uh, the, the son of a French resistance fighter is telling the story, and my brother's writing it. Um, and I cannot wait to read this because it's like it was a very high risk group, and this guy's dad made it, you know, further than any of them. And now his son is is ready to tell his story. But um, I read a lot of different things, and not just graphic novels. Oh yeah, and, we, absolutely. We're both big readers, and when we ask guests, we want books, comics, yeah. lip gloss and I, instructions. I, I just ordered, okay, as an example, I just ordered Jerusalem, Alan Moore's Jerusalem, so I could read that. And I ordered a bunch of, uh, of other graphic novels. But most recently, I finished up a book about, um, about uh, what's it called? Manifesting, you know, what you want in your life. Like, pagan alchemy self-help. I'm, I'm into this idea of, um, you know, saying the right things to yourself so you can get everything you want done. Because I'm 58 and I have big plans and I can't bullshit anymore. And I'm trying to manifest a really nice studio this year. And next year, you know, the film rights to the story of my tits. No, I mean, I exaggerate, of course, but it would be really nice if everything, if I could just really stop uh, being a shrinking violet and uh, and get my career rolling. Anyway, I've been quite lucky. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I read a lot of crazy stuff. That's great. Great. Um, how can people follow your work online? Well, jenniferhayden.com is a good place to start. And I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, those are the places. Um, and I keep uh, my, I had my website beefed up uh, lately. It's really nice now to look at. And I keep my events page current. And um, and I do, you know, speaking speaking gigs wherever I can. And I always post, you know, where I'm. Where I'll, where I'll do my next speaking thing. And um, health-wise, I know you mentioned this but you, you Oh, for 14 years I've been cancer-free, so oh, that's, that's, you know, the, the birth, I, I had the, the best of, of diagnosis because it was DCIS, and once they surgically remove anything that could be, that could have a problem, you don't even have to have uh, radiation uh, or chemo. My lymph nodes were clean, which means it hasn't traveled. So. Yeah, I've been perfectly clean, which is great. Other you know, now, I'm just aging, you know. And lately, I had tendonitis, and um, uh, I've had that twice before, about eight years apart. So it seems to be something that comes into my life as soon as I've taken it for granted that I can draw as much as I want to, and then boom. So how does that, how does that affect you with drawing? I've had to take some time off. It, it, it causes, well, actually, it's probably a pinched nerve in my neck. I have bad scoliosis, and I do a lot of body work to accommodate it so that I can, um, so that it doesn't become, you know, a chronic problem. And uh, it causes a nerve to, to feel, I think it feels more like tendonitis than it is. Okay. It's, it's a nerve that comes down and, and ends up zapping my, my thumb. And, um, and I notice when I draw, I'll get uh, um, uh, muscles spasming in my arm. But um, I'm, I'm really learning a lot about massage and self-massage and hot oil. And, you know, I've got this really cool thing full of stones that I lie on and heat up. And I'm doing all this, this crazy new age stuff to help my body. And it works. And I just have to be patient, you know. Makes me have to pick my... Pick it, make it exactly. Every line has to be significant. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. This is great.
WNQA. So, I see you have selected a uh, Saved by the Bell, the College Years trading card. Tell us about your choice. Well, Mario Lopez is on it. That's all the choice I need. <laughs> <laughs> young Mario Lopez, when he was still later. Chubby cheeks. <laughs> I love, I love that no one has chosen Professor Lasky in the hospital gown in bed. <laughs> I don't, I don't know so why. No worries. Um, but yes, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Cool. Well, um, my name is Alexia Veldhuizen. Uh, I'm a comic book artist, originally from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Ooh. And I came to the United States to study at the Kubert School, from which I graduated in 2014. And um, well, it's been a bit of a long and winding road, but I've actually finally managed to get a comic book job. We launched a Kickstarter for a comic book a couple of months ago, and we successfully funded. So I'm kind of hip deep in the production of that right now. I'm That's on great. The last stretch of the penciling and inking of the pages, and then I still have to color the whole lot. So I'm not quite done yet, mm -hmm. but we're getting there. Uh, tell, tell us about that book. So the book is called 47 Furious Tales, and it is basically a retelling of the legend of the 47 Ronin. Okay. And that's an actual story that happened in Edo, Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, 47 samurai lost their master um, basically over a dispute that they didn't agree with, but their master had to commit seppuku. Mm -hmm. So they weren't happy about it. They decided to um, extract revenge, and that was a whole one-year plotted plan that they put together. And it's a legendary story, and there's a festival around that it happens every year in Akko, where it happened. And it's, uh, it's a staple of uh, Japanese culture. Great. And uh, who are you working on that with? I'm working on that with my writer, uh, Sam Quinton. He is the writer and he also runs the publishing company that will be publishing the book called Sonopa Publishing. Uh, Sonopa usually or mostly focuses on RPG material. Mm -hmm. We've uh, come out with a lot of uh, adventure modules, uh, a necromancy spell book, a weapons book, and right now we're in the midst of kickstarting a um, collection of our subscription released RPG material. We have a uh, monthly subscription that is like Patreon, but not Patreon, called Drip. Drip is run by Kickstarter as well, but it's basically the same formula. You just pick a tier and every month you get something for the monthly contribution you give. So um, Sam writes these characters, creatures and monsters that you can have as NPCs or just companions for your uh, RPG games and it can be enchanted cats to uh, my the character I had to illustrate was a goblin war veteran with like um, an elfian armor so it's like all kinds of things for you know whatever you're into RPG wise it's usually for the fifth edition uh, I think he's done some stuff for Pathfinder too but it's mostly just fifth edition at the moment okay and uh, how did you end up getting involved with this project it was um, basically through mutual friends. He is a good friend of one of my friends from school. And I think it was around last year in April. Okay. Or maybe even two years ago. It's 2019, so that was two years ago. Uh, <laughs> 
that um, that friend reached out to me mm -hmm. saying that hey you know I have this friend he writes fantasy stuff and RPG stuff and he needs people to illustrate it like, would you be interested and at the time I was between jobs so I had nothing going for me I was like yeah sure whatever I'll take it <laughs> I'll take whatever um, and at the time Sam who's like he's a great great guy to work with he's really all about paying the artists fairly oh, that's great that's at great at the time however he couldn't afford to do it so he started with a royalty based contract and I was just like I don't care I got something to do <laughs> you know? I was just happy to get some kind of work but that actually ended up uh, being the start of a very, very great collaboration um, to the point where I've kind of been spearheading some things in terms of the logo design for Sonopa. I'm the editor on the upcoming comic book anthology that we're doing. Cool. And um, like I said, I've done some illustrations for Drip Release. Obviously, I'm working on 47 Furious Tales, which is going to be the first comic book in the lineup. Mm -hmm. So I'm been picking up some more responsibilities just trying to help Snopa grow as a publishing company because I, I believe in the company I believe in what we're doing we have submitted some of our books to uh, Gen Con okay so hopefully we'll get you know something out of it at mm -hmm. least some kind of recognition that'll be great we have a good group of artists all Cuber school graduates um, working with Sam so so far it's been working really well we're just we're really small still you know we're only we've only been around for like a year and a half two years um, so you know we're just doing what we can to help it grow and reach more people because I believe we have good stuff for the RPG community and for the comic book community we just need to find a way to reach more people with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's great. Were you were you into RPGs prior to all of this? No, this is the funny part. <laughs> Absolutely not. So listen to this. When the Necromancy spellbook Kickstarter was going around, okay. Sam had asked me to join in some of the live streams. We would do live streams during the Kickstarter campaign on the Kickstarter page. So in one of them, they came up with this crazy idea because it became a bit of a running joke that I was a an artist doing RPG stuff who's never played D&D or any RPG in her life. Okay. So then it became... Time for an, some immersion... It uh... became an unofficial <laughs> stretch goal to uh, have me play my first D&D game live okay. if they made a certain amount. And because of that hype, I guess, if you want to call it a hype, um, they made the, uh, the, the number that they needed and I had to stick with my guns. So I ended up doing my first D&D live game. So, wait, so they, they live streamed it? Is yeah, that? they live streamed it. Okay. And I didn't die. That's so that's a good thing. Better than me. I didn't die. I nearly died. First time I ever played, giant centipedes killed my character. I nearly, I nearly, good. I nearly died by goblins, but I survived. Yeah, at least goblins are like a legitimate monster. Like a giant centipede just stung my character to death. I'm like, oh, wow, that, I was lucky that I have a friend who's a DM, and he kind of he we basically went to a local place and we just sat down. And he just kind of ran me through how to play because I had absolutely zero clue on anything. I borrowed his dice. I borrowed his character playbook. Like. So I was just like a complete noob sitting there with the book in front of me, and like, oh, how do I do this? Fifth edition is is much more user friendly. So, I'm, so than, I've been told. I mean, as someone who's been playing since second edition, yeah. I will say fifth edition for those of you who have not dipped your toe in is a really 
much more player-friendly version of D&D than some of the previous ones. And the guys were really, really nice, like Sam and the other players, because they were veteran players. They were super mm -hmm. nice. They weren't super strict about the rules. Mm -hmm. so they kept it very loose, and it was like a very casual, fun game. So I liked it, and I've done another one since then. So I've only done two games. I like, no, <laughs> can't say I'm much of a player yet, but you know, we're getting there. I've definitely caught the book now, and like I understand some of the terminology, and I'm getting into it more and more, and I really like it. Do you have your own dice now? I have my own dice now, yes. <laughs> I got my own dice, I got my own handbook. So. You, you've been bitten now. Yeah, you're, you're, definitely. You're <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, how can people uh, follow your work online? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I say oh boy because it's, it's linked to my last name, and my last name is Dutch. So that tends to trip people over, but basically, if you go to Instagram and you look for Lexa Musa, so that's Lex A and then Moose M O O S A Lexa Musa. That's where you can usually find me. Uh, as for Facebook, it's like the art of it's the art of my full name. So it's Alexia V E L D H U I S E N. You can tell I've had to spell that plenty of times, so I know. <laughs> Those are my main two platforms. Other than that, it's uh, ArtStation and uh, DeviantArt, I believe. But yeah, Instagram is the go-to, usually. Okay. That's great. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the table. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So, we're here with Dan Parent. Hello. Hi, Dan. Nice. For stopping by. It was very easy. Yes. So... How are things going? What are you working on now? Um, things are going great. Um, I am working on, right now, um, Archie, um, the Married Life 10th Anniversary. So it's been 10 years since they did the Life with Archie storyline where he marries Betty and Veronica. So now we're jumping, uh, well, we're not really jumping 10 years later. It's, it is 10 years later now. And we're seeing what's happening with the characters. So that's a lot of fun. Very cool. And uh, Michael Uslong's writing it. And uh, J Jay Bone is inking it. And um, we're uh, Jay Boning, we just worked on Batman, Archie meets Batman '66. Um, we will be asking you about that. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we just finished that up, but yeah, so that's what I'm working on right now. And so, since you just mentioned, how much fun was doing Archie meets Batman '66? Because I love that. Yeah, it was great. It was a dream come true because, uh, as a, you know, as a, I mean, everybody knows I'm an Archie fan. And I worked for Archie forever, but I'm also a huge Batman fan, so especially Batman '66. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was so much fun. It was great. Um, it, the whole project went very easily, swimmingly. You know, DC was great with you know work, great, great to work with as far as you know the um, they had to go over everything and improve everything. Pupils went well. Um, working with Jay Bone is great. Um, so yeah, it was just um, so much fun. So much fun. There was a uh, we called the Die Kitty Die cosplayer earlier. Did she stop yep. by your table? Oh yeah, yeah, Shannon. Yep. Oh. yep. oh yeah, yeah. She's a good friend of ours. You see her at a lot of shows. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. That's awesome. She's, she's great. Yeah. We, we've had Fernando on the show before. Just a few weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. And we you know, talked about Kitty and just how the way you collaborate and yeah, big fan of the. A book. Thanks. Yeah. No, we have a, we have a great time with that, and um, yeah, we'll definitely be doing more. Looking forward to that. <laughs> so, uh, get, get, talking about uh, the married life, uh, I remember there was the original. There was the story back in like this was like 2010. At this point, I can't believe it was that long ago. Right. Where Archie dies. Um, are we talking like kind of separate? <laughs> 
Like, a, yeah. yeah. Like, everything is separate reality well, now? Well, basically, we forgot we were, we're ignoring that. Ah, okay. <laughs> In true comic book fashion. It's a so minor inconvenience. So, basically, we're just gonna... He's, we're we're kind of going on with what, what would happen ten years later with each character, but we're just ignoring the fact that he, he died in, in the other storyline, so... Yeah, so we see, like, their kids are now around, like, you know, 11, you know, they, you know, 10 or... Well, no, not 11. They're about, like, 9, actually. Um, and uh, so we deal with the kids. We deal with... Um, the aftermaths of like you know some of like the uh, other relationships like you know Jughead and Midge and mm-hmm. what has happened to Pop Tates and what's happening with the other characters there's a couple a couple more deaths that happen <laughs> um, but um, yeah no, it's, it's fun it's a lot of fun so you, you are credited as I can't remember if it's full on creator or co-creator of Kevin Keller uh, creator creator I mm-hmm. thought so I wanted. I didn't want to slight any collaborator no, in saying no, that no it's all my <laughs> and I love Kevin as a character mm-hmm. and what is it like to have created sort of the most recent addition to sort of that pantheon of the established Riverdale gang I mean there are characters have been added over the years I mean you start out with your you know Big Five your Archie Jughead Betty Veronica Reggie mm-hmm. but then over the years you know you've gotten your your Dilton. Yep. And your Chuck Clayton, mm-hmm. and your and now Kevin is really a major figure. There. Right, right. That's no, great. It's great. I mean, because you can create the character and you can like the character, but it's all up to the audience to make him, make him or break him. So um, yeah, the fans like Kevin, and um, and then it's transferred over to the Riverdale TV show now, where the character of Kevin is popular on the TV show. So it's 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 good seeing something you create come to life because you create a lot of characters. You know, some hit, some miss. Um, but when they when they hit like Kevin, it's it's really it's really exciting. Do you watch Riverdale at all? I do, I do. I, I haven't caught up with the last few episodes, but uh, but I do. I watch that. And by watching Sabrina, which um, is pretty need to, cool. Need to watch that back half of Sabrina. I haven't. There, there's only so many hours, and there's so much TV. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. This this whole streaming thing has really put a crimp in my uh, <laughs> my schedule. <laughs> then. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. W-M-Q-A. W-M-Q-A.